Reformist Aloha podcast enthusiasts. You're listening to the Dare Daniel podcast, where you send us your most sadistic movie dares and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, local comedian and Hawaiian ghost warrior. And with me, as always, is Daniel Barnes, film critic for the Sacramento News and Review and member of the San Francisco Film Critics Circle. Aloha, everyone. More like a bloha. <laughs> Nailed it already. As Corky was saying, on this show we watch the most unwatchable movies imaginable, and then we review and rate them on our unique system. Run-of-the-mill bad film is just a dare. We give a double dare to those truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare for those despised movies that are actually pretty good. Daniel also writes a craft beer column for the Sacramento Bee, so Daniel, why don't you tell us a little bit about the beer you've poured tonight? So I poured us some um, Modern Times City of the Sun IPA. Uh, Modern Times is a San Diego-based brewery. They're also a roastery. Uh, this IPA is about uh, 7%. Uh, this IPA is uh, hazy gold. It's got an ivory white head. Get a little more citrus on the palate. I think uh, melon is still kind of the dominant flavor there. Um, has a really nice crisp uh, bitterness, very fruity, juicy IPA. Really delicious. I hope this delicious, refreshing beer will help wash out the stale taste of this week's film, Cameron Crowe's Aloha. You never had a partner. Oh. I mean, I know that your, your ex-wife gave you the heave a year ago. That, that would be off-limits repartee for us, Captain. I lone-wolfed it all the way. That's who I am. End of speech. Understood. By the way, my ex-spouse did not give me the heave. She met some rich guy who made his fortune selling comic books, and in this economy, that's enough to vaporize a marriage. Suddenly get replaced by a comic book version of yourself. Nobody wants to live where they are. They all want to be in a fantasy, Ing. All right? She gave me the heat. Boy, did she blow it. If I may. And you have to know that. I know what you're doing. You're not going to pick my brains. They're unpickable. And your attempt to get under my hood and ask barb questions is frankly... Those voices you heard were Bradley Cooper as Brian Gilchrist, an ex-NASA hotshot searching for personal and professional redemption in his old Hawaiian stomping grounds, as well as Emma Stone as Allison Ng, one-quarter Hawaiian, one-quarter Chinese fighter pilot assigned to escort Brian around the islands. In other words, it's the part Emma Stone was born to play. <laughs> it's perfect casting, full stop, great job, Hollywood. Um, despite the presence of the Oscar-winning Crow and an A-list cast, uh, A-list cast that also features Rachel McAdams, Bill Murray, Alec Baldwin, Aloha bombed with audiences and critics. It was released uh, May 29, 2015 in over 2,800 theaters, only grossed $26 million worldwide against a production budget of $37 million, and it holds scores of 19 on Rotten Tomato and 40 on Metacritic. Now, Fuck. Yeah. That's Fuck. too high. <laughs> Way too high. Now, uh, this movie is also a little bit notable because of its role in the Sony email hack that happened in 2014 uh, before this movie was released. Just to kind of give you the bullet point version of that, essentially, uh, executive Amy Pascal, her emails were hacked. Um, a lot of this had to do with the movie The Interview that was coming out and eventually didn't make it to theaters with James Franco, right. Seth Rogen about North Korea. She ended up quitting over it because a lot of her you know, sort of professional writing was not very professional. Yeah. Um, and she actually made racist jokes about Obama and ended up kind of stepping down. In her writing about Aloha, though, there is one email in particular that is just fantastic. So, uh, and this comes after a screening uh, of the film. Sort of uh, Cameron Crowe has delivered his final cut. Um, this is so bad, <laughs> so badly written, and yet so spot on that it is verges on poetry. Okay. So I want to read this real quick. <clears throat> it's a wrap. There is no more to do. Cameron never really changed anything. People don't like people in movies who flirt with married people or married people who flirt. The satellite makes no sense. The gate makes no sense. <laughs> I'm never starting a movie again when the script is ridiculous and we all know it. I don't care how much I love the director and the actors. And she comes to this point, and I think this is really the crux of it. It never not even once, ever works. <laughs> this is the words of the executive <laughs> of the studio that would be releasing this movie. So, Corky, I want to pose the question to you now. Do, do you agree with Amy Pascal? Well, fucking tell it on the mountain, sister. <laughs> 
Would you say it never, not even once, ever works? And if so, why doesn't it work? Every single one of her points. And you're right. It does read po- It reads like Dutch Schultz's ramblings as he <laughs> lingered near death for 24 hours. There's so many different elements, and yet none of them are fleshed out. They're all vague references to a possible theme or issue in the movie. And none of them come to fruition, or you're never really invested in any of them. Because yeah. you're always trying to figure out what the fuck does anything mean. It's totally disorganized. The story is like 15 different pieces of a story that have not been developed and yet have been sutured together as some sort of a hideous Frankenstein's monster of a script. I mean, there are so many different elements to this movie, and yet there's no story. Right. I realized that I didn't know much about Cameron Crowe's I knew I know Cameron Crowe, and I realized I hadn't really seen many of his movies. I've I've mm-hmm. seen singles. No, I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't seen singles. I just well, lied. Yeah. I just lied to you. <laughs> I've seen Vanilla Sky and Jerry Maguire, and I really like Jerry Maguire. Well, I think other than Almost Famous, which is sort of an autobiographical work about right. him as a child, kind of moving from Jerry Maguire on, it really is sort of the same story, the same dynamic over and over and over again. It, it, it's a extremely successful man entering middle age who hits a personal and professional bottom of the well. He yeah. hits a low point. Yeah, He's the highest, and he's gone down to the lowest, and he needs to be repaired by a caring woman and restored through a renewed uh, a f- a feeling for family. You know, So it's, it's the same dynamic over and over again. So yeah, Cruz and Zellweger and Jerry Maguire, Emma Stone and Bradley Cooper in this, Matt Damon and Scarlett Johansson and We Bought a Zoo, uh, oh, yeah. Orlando Bloom and uh, Kristen Dunst and Elizabethtown. It's the same kind of dynamic over and over again. We were sort of talking like, we're reviewing quote unquote bad movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we're not like, ooh, I hope this movie's bad so we can crap all over it, right? Like, if you go back to the whole history of of cinema, there have always been movies that have struck out with audiences, struck out with critics, and were sort of discarded and overlooked in their time that have gone on to be legitimate classics, or at least acknowledged as not terrible, right? So I would love to say, ooh, (laughs) aloha. Cameron Crowe's doing something really interesting here with story, or he's really in something really interesting, and people just didn't pick up on it, and they didn't get it, but the truth is, he's doing something so familiar, yeah, and so tired, and you can tell his heart isn't into it, and he can't even like put all the pieces together. He can't even get us to sort of care about it. Like If you look at a movie like Say Anything, or even Jerry Maguire, which I'm not a fan of, but his older movies, kind of the ones that really connected with audiences... They establish the characters first. They establish who they are as people, what they want, who are the people around them that, you know, kind of shape their world, you know. This movie just starts. <laughs> and you're automatically and he's just like, Yeah, I used to be doing great, but now I'm not. Oh yeah. And that's just like you're supposed to instantly care about that. It's not a very sympathetic place to put him in at all, honestly. No. Because we haven't been with him through any of this he, we're just seeing him at at the like he's sort of the crash victim at this point and that yeah maybe we should get into how yeah. the movie goes so um, let's just get started on it we start with a narration that never comes back and is almost you can hear it scream hey we've watched this movie we know it doesn't make any sense but let's give you all this backstory yeah that we have like let's for- let's go back and give him enough to like get him started yeah, on this because- and you're right it doesn't paint him in a positive light he's just talking about how he's hit rock bottom he's at it a- used to be great Yep. Just like NASA used to be great, which what? NASA? Already I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah, so NASA used to also be great, but NASA was taken over by tech billionaires. Actually, we should start because here's how crazy disorganized this movie is, right? First shot you see is the Columbia logo. <laughs> no, actually, uh, the, the Universal logo. Okay. Right? And then it goes into like a sort of an old timey logo. Okay. Right? And it's one of those where, like, sometimes a, a studio will do, be like, "Oh, I already stopped paying attention by this." Absolutely point. right. This is the first three seconds, <laughs> <laughs> literal first image of the movie. So, usually a studio will do that if they're like, "Ah, oh, this movie's set in the '30s. Let's let's use our '30s logo." There's no reason to like use an old timey logo here. No, they're just like, "Let's just do that," right? No. Ex- the- except it's like it's Cameron Crowe, and it has to be nostalgia, and it has yep. to be like, "Ooh, analog," and like it actually also the first sound you hear is. A needle drop 
onto a record, Ugh. right? And it's just uh, instantly, it is just like so pandering to yeah. be like, oh, I'm an old soul. And the credits, I was trying to figure out what was happening because the credits are kind of like a history of how Hawaii became a state. Mixed with some space program Mixed stuff. with a lot of shuttle disasters <laughs> and, <laughs> right? and NASA clips. Yeah. And it doesn't explain this, but you hear the, the narration where he tells you about how he was a hot shit. Ever since he was a kid, he loved space and loved uh, aeronautics. Doesn't really describe what he did, but he was hot shit. And then fell apart. He's lost. He's lonely. And he gives you narration like, I waited for scraps like a hungry cat outside a seafood restaurant dumpster. Yeah. Boy. Oh, my God. I mean, this movie is so crazily overwritten just with the dialogue. And yet crazily underwritten in every other respect. And if you're waiting outside a dumpster, there's... Nobody's going to, the like, dumpster doesn't have people like in there to Oscar get Oscar the Grouch is going to come out with some fucking cat food. Like, it's a dumpster, kitty. He also describes <laughs> getting injured in, in Kabul or Afghanistan. I broke 18 bones in two legs, which makes you wonder how many legs didn't have broken bones in them. <laughs> he, uh, he works for Carson Welch, uh, who is a billionaire. This is Bill Murray's character. Yeah. Oh, we should say ba- Bradley Cooper is, is Brian Gilchrist. He's yeah. the one describing all this. Uh, what did you think of Bradley Cooper here? I like Bradley Cooper. I thought he was I, okay. I generally like him. I, yeah. I, I thought this was actually like it was such a bland role. Yeah. Um, and he kind of meets the blandness a little bit. Um, he describes that he works for Carson billionaire Carson Welch, aka the biggest billionaire of them all, for whatever that means, who is uh played by Bill Murray. Yeah. Who is an eccentric billionaire because are there really any other kinds? Yeah. He is going to launch his own satellite and get involved in the Aeronox industry and Bradley Cooper does something for him. He's getting a second chance. But at least he's back in Hawaii. Back in Hawaii. Wait, yeah. back in Hawaii? That's what he oh, says. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I'm just, <laughs> what I'm saying, like, it's already like, oh, I'm back. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> there's, like, there's just so much. And the the dialogue here, again, the movie is just super convoluted for no reason. This is two minutes in, in, two minutes in, in the in movie. narration. Yeah. So he uh, is getting flown back to Hawaii by John uh, Krasinski, who is Woody, a pilot. And we meet some of the other characters that are down on the ground waiting for them. One of them is Colonel Fingers Lacey, played mm-hmm. by Danny McBride. Yes. And why is he called Fingers? It's because his hands don't stop moving. He's just doing Because he's always playing with his fingers? Even, yeah, he's like shaking his fingers around. Yeah, or even Air Force colonels are quirky in this world. <laughs> I know, right? And they all use the same like pop culture references, too. They all use the same like music references. Well, that yeah... It's a Camera Crow movie. There's going to be good music in it. Yeah. There was good music. I will say that. I mean, we're five minutes in, and we're on like the fourth <laughs> pop song, right? Like it, it's just like does not stop ever. It's just like okay, the scene isn't working. Like here's a great song by the Who, though. Camera Crow doesn't make movies so much as he makes mixtapes with just visuals. A mixtape, yeah, yeah. Makes- <laughs> which again, like it, it, it's sort of like. If you think like why did his movies work before and this one didn't, it's because like. Those movies were also sort of mixtapes with visuals, but like he invested you in the characters first. Yeah. And this one is just like, here's Hawaii, and then here's some space stuff, and here's like, you know, here's, you know, it just throws stuff at you, and it's not like, let me build a reason for you to care. Let me build an actual case for this. Right. Also on the ground is Tracy Woodside, who is Rachel McAdams. She's there to greet the plane because her husband is Woody, John Krasinski, the pilot, but also because her and Brian Gilchrist. Are exes. Mm-hmm. And it's unresolved. So unresolved. And there's a whole lot of like very self-conscious dialogue in this movie. Everybody knows it's unresolved. Yeah. They know it's unresolved. Her husband knows it's unresolved. Her fucking kids know it's unresolved. Right? It's just like something they're all talking about. But And even like Danny McBride, uh, as uh, when Brian sees her for the first time, Danny McBride says like, Ooh, the ex-girlfriend. Pause for memory. You know, like yeah. it's that level of self-consciousness. Like at, at one point, he calls his dialogue with Emma Stone repartee. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's it's constantly sort of calling attention to itself, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like, what are you even calling it? There's this is our meet cute. Yeah, yeah, right. There, there's a big reception party on the Air Force Base to greet the plane landing, and then there's this weird cut shot to a Sam Raimi style sequence of Emma Stone as Alice, Captain Allison Ng. Giving her military ID, someone. It's got quick zooms, quicker cuts, <laughs> and then we just cut right back away. That like that just dropped it like, in. Yeah, it was like a scene from another movie. It's just like got a guest cut director it. for the day or something. <laughs> it's like, man, what if we did a camera move? <laughs> I mean, there's some weird shots on this. There's like some really like handheld shots. There's where a it's lot like of spinning handheld. around yep. the people in a very self conscious sort of way. Yeah. So we get that shot, and then we cut back out to the airfield. Tracy Woodside and Brian Gilchrist have run into each other. Yeah, and there's a bit of the awkward exes dialogue. They haven't. There's so much unresolved between them. Yeah, but she immediately says, "You got to meet my kids." 
when she brings him over to introduce her to her kids, she introduces him like this. This is eight-year-old Mitchell and 12-year-old Grace. This is Mr. Gilchrist, who I last saw 13 years ago. <laughs> right. Like, and that was the first do point. Do the math. Yeah. Guys. Everybody knows that's your daughter, dude. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, no what no hiding it whatsoever yeah. it's, no it's, subtlety no and, nothing it's and that's so like lazy. the most subtle hint that's as close as he gets to subtlety right so we also in this scene a lot of cameron crow tropes here right so we have the precocious kid yeah and then we also meet what critic nathan rabin has uh identified as the manic prixie dream girl which that's is right the staple of of cameron crow which is the invented from elizabethtown uh, the term was, but not like the, the term. term. Yeah, but if you you can kind of go back and see. Oh, it in I mean other that's movies. that was um, Audrey Hepburn's career. I mean, yeah, almost always blonde, almost always in her mid twenties, super energetic, kind of like weirdly obsessed with the male uh, hero. Believes in the guy who doesn't believe in himself. Believes in him, right? Yeah. And will support him no matter what. And he's the middle aged the guy, kind of ent- like I said, entering middle aged who is at a low ebb, and she's this sort of new energy that is coming in, and it's. I would, like if you sort of chart the ages of like the protagonists yeah. or the actors who play them in his movies, it's pretty much always a forty-year-old guy and a twenty-seven-year-old woman, right? Yeah. So you, you're we're kind of coming in and we're getting all these tropes and stuff. So this is why I feel like this is that sort of like greatest hits sort of thing <laughs> of like I'm Cameron Crowe. And there's some, a bunch of things that people are going to expect of me. Sort of like if you're the Rolling Stones and you put out a new album, you're going to have some expectations, right? There better be a guitar solo, and it better be this, and it we better be We got catchy that. pop tunes, we you got quirky characters. Like, there's stuff you got to do because that's your thing, right? Yeah. And it's like you've got a big A-list cast for this one. This isn't a little, like, tiny little passion project. This is like a big movie. So he's bringing in all of these elements. Uh, right away, you can just feel the magic. Just not there at all. We learned that there's a blessing that needs to happen at a pedestrian gate. Bradley Cooper's character needs to get the okay for the blessing from the Hawaiian locals. Yeah, he needs to go to the locals and get them to agree to do it. So this is where we should really talk about the central question of the movie, which is, what the fuck is Bradley Cooper's job? What does he do? What does he do? So he works with this giant tech millionaire in, like, Saudi Arabia. No, he works for the biggest billionaire. The biggest billionaire in the world. The biggest of all the billionaires. And yet this guy can't go a minute without complaining how broke he is. Yeah, right. He brings up 2008. The housing boom. Yes. And he just talks about how in this economy, <laughs> you work for the biggest billionaire of them all. Like, is he not paying you? In the sort of opening, we find out that he started out as NASA. He was some legendary person at NASA, yeah. right? Uh, then the tech people took over the space industry because they're all launching their satellites. Okay, right. And that's how he gets up, hooked up with Bill Murray. And now he's did some stuff with Bill Murray and is sort of coming back and is getting a second chance to do this very important thing that is happening on the island, which Bill Murray, his tech company, is going to launch this satellite and they're going to build a whole kind of complex here in, in partnership with the military, which is why Emma Stone's military character comes in here, right? She's his she's, escort. Yeah, she's his liaison, or his escort, right? So he has to go get this blessing. And it's like, well, okay, so a blessing for, like, the satellite or for the launch? No, for the a pedestrian gate. A pedestrian gate. That will eventually be built? I, it doesn't make sense. It, it's never explained. For that will eventually go in the complex. And this is the job that that was given... To the NASA engineer, <laughs> who we're, we're told is legendary for his pioneering sound transducing. But when he's going to the, when they're going to see the Hawaiians, right, who are sort of on like a reservation, sort and, of. And like they're the Hawaiian Native nationalists who Hawaiian are nationalists. In, in owning Hawaiian ba- Hawaii back. Yeah. So, but he says, oh, yeah, I know Bumpy. Like, I, I helped get him elected to city council. So he's also, in his job as a NASA sound transducer, he's also a political fixer. Tied into Hawaiian nationalists. Who gets people elected to city office. Who hasn't been in Hawaii for 13 years. He hasn't been in Hawaii for 13 years. And he's like, yeah, yeah. My my sound transducing credentials are going to get me get the job done here. I, I'm pretty confident about it. <laughs> And then later, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead, but later he appears to be a hacker. Yeah. Because he just hacks into a computer and is like, there's like a Chinese hacker in here and I'll just hack him out. And yeah, and he makes a big show of watch showing people his hacking skills, which is just typing, really. Yeah. And I'm just writing, what the fuck is <laughs> what happening? What is he doing? Like, what is this guy's job? But he's told by Bill Murray and by all the army guys, like, this pedestrian gate is fucking huge. It's and crucial. no, sorry, not the pedestrian gate. 
the blessing. The blessing. For the pedestrian gate. Right. Because I guess that will ease the PR with the locals or something. Which doesn't make any sense at all. If money is all that moves this place and the military runs it, what the fuck does it matter? Yeah, right. It, it's just like his his involvement in this is so like minor and uninteresting. You're just like, why like why didn't they give him something as a screenwriter? Yeah. Why not make his job slightly more important? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just to get but everyone's talking about how like, oh boy, don't fuck this one up. Last chance, buddy. Yeah. Like this is this is the big show. The stakes Gate are blessings. so big but so vague. Yes. And like when we first meet, actually meet Bill Murray's character outside of the narration, he gives him a weird massage because he's doing the eccentric billionaire. Yeah. He's got this biographer who's always with him for no reason yes. that never pays off. She's just there always writing down what he says. Yeah. He says something to Bill Murray that everybody says, oh, he fucking nailed it, pal. He knocked it out of the park. Bill Lamp is like giving him a literal thumbs up. <laughs> what happened? I don't understand what happened in that scene. Yeah. No idea. No idea. But that's the, th- what the, the thing about... The Bradley Cooper character is that people are constantly like just fawning over this guy, right? Yeah. So like Allison is like crazily obsessed with him. So like she comes out onto him like so hard. She wants to go out with him the first it's, night. She go get she's a drink ready with to him. like redeem him like right away, like right. a lost puppy or something. And like he's that. just you find out she's like <laughs> researched his background and like stole his file and all this other kind of stuff. The little kid, after meeting him for like thirty seconds, literally just turns to his sister and in this like really <laughs> upsetting tone is like. I love him. He says, I love him. I love him. Like, you've known him, like, for tense. Like, is this kid going up to strangers and telling them how much he loves them? Like, that's upsetting. And other, well, we'll get into it, but the the kid does a couple of, something else that really makes you question Rachel McAdams' yeah. parenting abilities, but we'll get into that. She, she's questionable throughout. Okay, so the uh, first night at the hotel that they're staying at, he's shitty to Colonel Ling, who asks him out for a drink. Because it's movie magic, he magically overhears her conversation with her mom, and he realizes that she has done her research on him, and she really idolizes him, but says he's a mess. He's a train wreck of a man. He's like a sad city coyote. <laughs> it's like just rolls right off the tongue, right? <laughs> Which, like, you're reading from like prepared notes or something? Right. Yeah. The next day, they're out driving up to see Bumpy to get this blessing, and he reveals that he overheard her conversation. She mm. feels bad. The car breaks down because we need more character bonding time. Exactly. So they, they're traipsing through the jungle now. Yep. And this is where we finally learn that Allison is really tied into Hawaiian myths Mm -hmm. and believes in spirits and magicalness of Hawaii, which also I think the movie tried to kind of put in, Mm -hmm. Cameron Crowe tried to make, like Hawaii is a magical place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they both, they're in the middle of a fight, like wind blows. Yeah, there's like a wind that kind of sweeps through really quick. And and their mood totally changes. Yeah, yeah, Like they've made up. They're both really moved by it. So then they get up the rest of the hill, they get up to see Bumpy. I'd say that's probably like my favorite moment of the movie. Is that right? It's kind of like a nice moment. They're at each other, and then this wind kind of sweeps through. Yeah. And they're sort of taken by it. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a nice moment. It's sort of like a Cameron Crowe-ish and if the movie made that a thing, that right. would be good. Yeah, but right? again, it's just like it just falls all over the place. So they go to the the natives, and uh, they're trying to bargain to get this blessing. Um, the natives are are trying to get islands and mountains and and things like that in exchange for them putting a gate. No, getting the blessing. I have no fucking the blessing idea. on the moving of the blessing bones. of the gate. Yeah, they got to move bones right. with this pedestrian. But they got to bless the bones to there move the bones. Okay, so yes, gate. that's what it is. So the gate is going to be built on a a burial ground. So they need the Hawaiian natives to come in, bless the bones so that they can then move the bones and then build the all important pedestrian gates. <laughs> <laughs> like how many pedestrians are going to be coming to this fucking military base? Like so many pedestrians. Well, this is where we see Allison is really kind of inner element amongst Hawaiians. Oh, and- I mean, so inner element that like they basically refuse the first offer. And then they're like, okay, well, come and hang out at our luau. And then she is just like right away picks up a guitar and just starts singing with everyone. You know, it's just like, God, you are fucking relentless. And I like Emma Stone, but she does the worst guitar picking. She, she's not moving her, her picking hand at all. She's just like her character never passes up an opportunity to make like a spectacle out of herself. No. Right? There's a later scene where like she's at Rachel McAdams' house and like he walks into the room and she's showing them the hula and she says something like, 
oh, I'm so moved by the hula. So it's like, God, give it a fucking rest. Like, we get it. Yeah, don't you ever have a bad time? Like, I know, right? Like, <laughs> it's just like, it's the hula. okay, good. She gets Bumpy and his crew into the deal, and they'll get the blessing on the gate. Yeah, pretty much everyone, like, just as everyone is sort of fawning over Bradley Cooper, they're they're kind of also fawning over Emma Stone. It's she like, her sincerity ma- just, like, melts everyone. I mean, Big and- mana. Yeah, and it's like the same with those kids, too. Like, the second they see her, they're just like, oh, my God, they're just smitten. Right. So they're driving back down the hill, and again, we have the kind of Hawaiian mythology. Yeah. Because she sees an apparition. Now, we never see Bradley Cooper acknowledge it, so it's kind of... Well, he doesn't look. He sort of acknowledges the myth, right? Because you're not supposed to look at them. Wasn't it there? Yeah, exactly. They have to look down. There's a ghost warriors crossing a path. Yeah, who are sort of just walking through the night. They're kind of these lit sort of shadowy figures he insists it's a uh, reenactment right and she insists it's really happening what the fuck is the point of this scene what is any of it? like i saw the the leaked emails from amy pascal and she said that scene never works yeah and never has worked and yeah you're you're absolutely it's just right like it it doesn't and not, that's just the thing about this movie is there's all these different stuff the space the spirituality and his redemption and like why aren't these things tied together in some kind of a way you know one of the lines though that bumpy says that i loved was and this is kind of about the writing stick around you're going to skin your knees on eternity bra <laughs> yeah right <laughs> like nothing, <laughs> nothing. No, no line of dialogue sounds like something a human being would say to another nothing. human being and at, at no point and like that's cool right like, that's cool. Like, to have, like, dialogue that is, like, heightened and is, you know, it's Quentin Tarantino or something like that. Sure. But also, like, Quentin Tarantino's movies take place almost in, like, an alternate comic book universe, right? Like, this is just supposed to be, like, regular folks, right? Like, and this dropping is, knowledge with that line. Yeah, like, these are just supposed to be, like, just people talking. <laughs> I mean, this doesn't take place in some weird universe. Tracy has also Tracy Woodside, Rachel McAdams has invited Brian over to have dinner with her family for because that's what you do with your exes that you haven't seen in thirteen years. You invite them to have dinner with your family. Yes, and she also has Allison Ng coming because I guess as is that she shows up early. Shows up she's early. She's a go getter. Go getter. I mean, she's helps a fighter her pilot, and she, that's like kind of her thing is that she's. She's just always on. Yeah. Yeah. And we really see that Gilchrist and Woodside are still hot for each other. The, the, every bit of dialogue is about, you know, are you happy? Are, do you have what you want? He he looks at a picture of her and her husband, and it's really a picture that she's folded of her and him together. Exactly. Tucked into the du- double frame. Every scene, so every dialogue scene, pretty much, it, it feels like a therapy session that builds to a very pat, either kind of conclusion or a pop song just trails off of a pop song right <laughs> so it'll either be sort of there's a line where um she says like the the they have a long talk in the kitchen and the the talk concludes with you can't just let people go right and that's sort of like this tag to the scene which is like put a little bow on the scene right like yeah. then right you just can't let people go in calligraphy on the outside it's like we're all <laughs> fucking done but like every scene is like that like nothing it feels like nothing is ever moving forward. No. And nothing is ever really resolving or anything. It's just sort of like these little mini therapy sessions with this very, very false dialogue. Uh, he has a talk with the the, kid, the little boy who was like, did you break up with my mom years ago? And he's like, yeah. He's like, how did you break up? He's having a breakup talk with the kid. Right. And the kid... Is the one who brings it up, too. <laughs> right. Uh, John he's Krasinski. A, oh, he's such a movie kid. Yeah, he is. John Krasinski doesn't bring anything up because he doesn't talk. That's he what, doesn't talk. That's his thing. That's his thing. That's his fingers moving all the time. Yeah. He doesn't talk. Yeah. It, it, to the point where he just like, looks at people, smiles at them, and then goes up like he's going to be aggressive to, to Bradley Cooper, uh-huh. but just grabs him. And then Bradley Cooper is sort of like, oh, but he said so much. He said this with his eyes and he said this with his hands and all this other kind of stuff. And it, even in a later scene with them, it actually has subtitles, oh, which is like, why did you do the subtitles once but like not do it the second? You know yeah. what I mean? It's just one of those like, that was a stupid idea for a scene anyway, so like, why not just be fully stupid? Right. Uh, next scene is we're at uh, the Christmas party, the base Christmas party, or maybe it's the sa- oh, that's the same night. Sorry, before they have after they have dinner, they go to the base Christmas party, yeah. and we meet General Dixon, who is Alec Baldwin's yeah. character, who right away because it's a Cameron Crowe movie goes up to the DJ and requests for that he play. Everybody wants to rule the world. 
<laughs> because like no matter that you're several decades older than the ever than everybody else like you have the exact same musical tastes you have the same musical references it's all just in the same thing like, yeah there's a reference to like tupac's hologram <laughs> uh I don't think it made it into the movie, but I was watching the trailer, and there was a line that Alec Baldwin had that was something like, you're going to wear this like Flavor Flav wears a clock. Are you serious? Yeah, that was a line. It was in the trailer. Didn't make it in the movie. But that's the kind of thing which is like, why would he make it? He's 60 years old. Like He's going to make a Flavor Flav reference? Yeah. And this is the weirdest Christmas party because there's so much palace intrigue in this. Right. Every shot. Because Bill Murray is there. And Danny McBride's there. Woodsides are there. Gilchrist is there. But every conversation happens, someone looks askance at it, like, what's going on over there? <laughs> yeah. Bill Murray and Emma Stone have a dance scene. Yeah, that which comes out of nowhere. Comes out of nowhere, yeah. and it is the most bizarre goddamn thing. It's really weird. It's, it seems like almost like rap party footage or something like that. Like, right? hey, everything's over. Let's just goof around and like have a dance together. Oh, get Emma up here. You know, something yeah. like that. I, I maybe I'm projecting, but it seemed to me like Bill Murray was trying to Bill Murray it up in the scene, be silly, and Emma Stone just didn't get that, and she kept following him around. She just kept doing it, yeah, yeah, and it was just became this weird thing that with intercuts of Bradley Cooper looking on, like, what's going on over yeah. there? It's an act of desperation because it's one of those sort of like, ah, oh, boy, the scene isn't working, or boy, this this, uh, I've been getting notes from the studio that, uh, you know. Bill Murray is not very likable in this, you know? So it's like, uh, we have to do something. You hear sound of some scene that was filmed with Alec Baldwin where he goes, God bless America! Right. And it's just 80 yard into the background. <laughs> After the Christmas party, they're back at the hotel. Allison's drunk. Uh, Gilcrest is not. And they decide to hang out. He has, invites her to come over. And there's kind of sexual tension between them as they're talking, but you don't think it's going to happen. And then it's going to happen. But you still kind of, there was, okay, there, there was a line of dialogue I liked in here hmm. where uh, she's asking about his scars or, or his injuries. And he says, I felt that question in 18 parts of my body. Right. And she says, so did I. And I thought, I was like, okay, that's good dialogue. That's good, like, movie sexy good, dialogue. Funny, little flirty kind of dialogue. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like the characters talk like that all the fucking time. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Everything sounds so so false and so written. But the moment, So a lot goes on in the scene yes. between them, right? So a lot is finally revealed about the Bradley Cooper character and where, where he kind of screwed up. So he was, oh, yeah. turned out that he was kind of crooked. Yep. And this, again, another uh, Cameron Crow trope, which is that he kind of got to a suicidal point. Mm-hmm. Didn't actually commit suicide or try to commit suicide, which is what happens in Elizabethtown. It's just like a shoe executive who at the start of the movie tries to kill himself and oh. fails. And then Manic Pixie Dream Girl, family, travel, rock and roll, pop songs over. Same movie. movie over. Yeah, basically the same movie, but in Nashville. Um, so essentially he committed suicide or tried to commit suicide by not moving out of the way of a missile. Knew a missile was coming. That was going right towards him. Yeah. Which hurt his leg a little. <laughs> Didn't seem to be a very serious missile. Yeah, and uh, Bill Murray also confronts him about the 100K he pilfered from the company. And he pilfered money, too. He's cro- Yeah, he, that happens at the Christmas dinner, yeah. Yeah. You also see, this is just one of those weird, like, why is this even in the movie kind of things? Like, his toe... When it has, the, like, another toe sewed on top of it, yeah, and they're, they're just kind of looking at it in bed. Yeah. It's weird. It's so weird. But he, maybe he's like, I left parts of me everywhere, and, you know. This is also where you find out that he, quote, pioneered sound transducing, which I guess that was, like, because he keeps talking about, like, oh, the old days in Hawaii, my old stomping grounds, you know, back when I was the hotshot. And it's like, your hotshot thing was pioneering sound transducing. Why were you getting people elected mayor and then going to work for a tech company in Saudi Arabia? Is transducing a real word? Transducing is a real word. Okay. I, I didn't know if he was, like, flex capacitoring. Like <laughs> yeah, right? It just basically means, like, you know, sound... This is sound transducing, right? Noise is going into the microphone okay. and it's going to come out as like an audio, right? Okay. The next morning they do the walk of shame through some open market bazaar. Like right away, it's, there's like flirty shopping montage. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like there it goes. A couple. No, fast. it goes right from like, let's get this gate blessing to sex to like suicide to like, we're a thing now. Yeah, we're and a thing. Like, let's just go shopping for mangoes. And she jogs by the house of the Woodsides, decides to go in and thank the parents for having them over, but the parents aren't home. They're, the kids are there. And the kid who's always filming stuff happened to film some top secret shit. <laughs> He's watching footage of it when she just happens to come in and re- makes the connection. Whoa, that's Carson Welch's gig. Yeah, Bradley Cooper knows all about this. So this pedestrian gate, 
is going to lead to a satellite launch, which will have a secret payload on it. Which has to be a weapon. <laughs> which has to be a weapon. I mean, because why else would they be bringing it into a base in the middle of the night? It has to be a weapon. But it's amazing because like, they made a, a point to say he's eight. Yeah. He's eight years old. Right. And they're like, where, where did you get this footage? And yeah. he's like, middle it, of the night. It doesn't speak much for the American military no. that this kid is on a base filming right. shit. Like, first of all, like... This is huge, right? If the military is pairing up a tech company to send weapons into space, like that's a big deal and you should probably like if you're covering up this conspiracy, maybe like look around occasionally for like is anyone watching like a child with a camera. Also, he's 8 years old just running around on a military base at night into like weapon silos and stuff like that. Mitchell Woodside is on and, the like, fucking case. We're man. just really supposed to think that like Rachel McAdams is, like, in <laughs> any way competent. I mean, reminding, like, what's going on in her house at this time, which is that, like, her and Woody have essentially broken up. Pretty much. Because he won't talk. He doesn't talk. Uh, and then, of course, there's the whole matter of, like, his illegitimate daughter that she's <laughs> lied to him about for the last 12 years. Which is, isn't even the worst thing this woman does in the movie, too. No, that right? Com- that comes later. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting to it. We get a lot of talk about private money and, quote, the new military. And someone at one point says, Kesha could launch a satellite. Yep. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows pop references. Kesha, right. Kesha. Kesha could launch a satellite if she wanted to. Kind of cute scene. He buys her this dumb little sunglasses hat, puts it on her, and she's crying. Because she can't be with him. Yeah. And feels betrayed. So they have this overwrought breakup where they instantly hate each other now. Yeah. But nobody really says what's actually on the table. She, she All she says is, I know what you know. I know what you know. But doesn't say, look, you fucking lied to right. me about this. You know there's a weapon on there. So he can't say, I don't know what's on there. You know? Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Exactly. She doesn't actually put him on the spot. No. Like, do we ever really know what Bradley Cooper knows? Right? Like, I guess we no. he, he knows that Bill Murray is crooked. He knows that he's been doing some bad stuff, right? But even after kind of confessing and the suicide and everything and really opening up to, to Allison. The day before. The day before, <laughs> right? And he's still way into it, right? So, it, I mean, he knows something's going on, right? Or does he, he just not care? Yeah, I don't think he cared. Yeah. It's just the thing about this movie is that, like, the movie does not want to make him bad, right? right? And he's bad. At the same time, the Woodsides have a tay-to-tate because Woody comes home, doesn't speak to anybody. And they, she goes in and talks, and he blames it on Gilchrist. She says we were having troubles before Gilchrist. This is, I guess, our low point in the movie. This is where things have gone wrong. We get a shot where they're all standing together now, Ing, Gilchrist, and Woodside, for some reason. And I, th- I thought, is this aloha? Is it like hello and goodbye at the same time? Right. Future past at the same time? At this point, I, wrote, I still don't know what the fuck is happening. For some reason, the plot gets sped up really fast. Yeah, they're ready to launch. They're ready to launch. They're, ready to, they're suddenly ready to launch. I don't know, did like the pedestrian gate like play into this launch at all? Because this seems to be happening over like a few days. Yeah, it got blessed. That's where they were standing together. The... Chinese hackers are getting in there. We know this because Bill Lamp comes, picks up Ing and Gilcrest, and says, "You got to stop this, bringing you back to the launch area." Yeah, just hacks the hacker right out of there. Just hacks the shit just out of it. Super fast typing. Yeah, That'll it's do just it. super fast. Which is <laughs> like that never came up before that he has any kind of like hacking ability. No. That's- Again, it just seems like script notes of like, we need a thing at the end where the hero does something. <laughs> where he's heroic in any way. You know what I mean? Because it's like, what is the journey? So it's like, let's just throw up this thing because all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're launching. Oh my God, a Chinese hacker. And he's like, ah, launch it. Yeah. I'll hack him out while you're doing it. Yeah, and do it in a very braggadocious way. In a very, uh, so easy. Oh, he's just the best. I Watch mean, me oh. hack the shit out of this Chinese I hacker. I love him. And he talked... <laughs> He talks to his microchip guy who's at a remote location. Ing isn't having it. She's upset. He loads the payload. Everything goes well. There's celebration because they've launched the satellite. Yeah. And then I guess he gets a crisis of conscience. Gets, yeah, gets the crisis of conscience and is sort of – he tells this guy who's in like a control tower some somewhere else. Yeah. Here's the fucking thing about this movie, right? As the the satellite is in space, he believes it has a weapons payload on it. He believes that Bill Murray has snuck a weapons payload on it. So he's like, okay, I'm going to upload this sound file. He wants the guy on the other end to upload a sound file. Remember, he's a he pioneered sound transducing, Sounds remember? Transducing. This is where it comes back up, I guess. Yeah. So he has him pioneer a sound file, which sound files are generally aren't that the largest files, right? But <laughs> up to the satellite, which will then make it go robot crazy. And explode, right? Yeah. And the guy at the other end, who, again, we have not met this guy before, he's sort of like, oh, I don't know, because 
this is a partnership between a billionaire and the military who I work for. And like, this can be instantly traced to me. And I'm basically just throwing my entire career away. And, and so it's sort of like, what's his motivation? And he's like, ah, oh, it's hard to be your friend. Just like friends, right? Yeah. Why not make that guy the Danny McBride character? Right. Or the John Krasinski character. Why not have that moment, which, like I said, is the crux of the entire plot of the film. Why not have that tie into fucking anything? Anything that's been but Instead, set up. it's just like a total rando who's like, oh, I don't know. This is crazy. I'm going to blow up a satellite worth billions and billions of dollars. But all right, I'll do it because I love you. I'm going to hover my finger above the send hovering. button. I don't know. <laughs> so he clicks it. And it's a file with every sound that has ever happened. Commercial. It's like yeah, jingles. five seconds of a commercial, and then five seconds of a Beatles song, and then five seconds of Richard Pryor, and then five seconds of this, with just like some yeah. sound effects in the background. And that sound file, because it is so large because of sound transducing, that file causes it to go insane, and the satellite blows up. A noisy explosion. A huge space explosion. In the vacuum of space. Yes. There's this loud explosion. Huge explosion. Super CGI work. Yeah. He's the hero to Allison Ng, but the villain to everybody else in that room. Yeah. He kind of pushes her away. She kind of comes back, and he's sort of like, I'm I'm done. I'm over. You're toxic. Yeah. You're away from me. uh, What does he say? You're just starting. I'm finished. Yeah. Right? And then he kind of walks out, and then there's Bill Murray, who is singing Wheels on the Bus Go Round and Round. At his apartment. Just, yeah, just singing it, just to be there. Just to To kind of walk down the stairs and sort of lord it over him and tell him that he's going down. And then goes to Alec Baldwin and gets reamed out by Alec Baldwin. Same thing. You're done, you're done, you're done. This was where the Flavor Flav, where, where like Flavor Flav, where's a clock oh, is that right? line from the trailer would come we in. We learned that from Alec Baldwin that it wasn't a weapon. It was a, a link to talk to. It was a Facebook link. It was a Facebook link for people to have cell phone service and Facebook in remote, <laughs> impoverished areas. No, thank God, right? He goes back to the Woodsides. She's still alone. Her husband's gone. This woman gets... A letter from her husband and proceeds to read it to she him. Reads it out loud. She reads a tender letter from her husband yeah. to her ex. I mean, and this is like a big deal because he does not talk. He's made a big thing that it's Woody a, does not talk. So he has out. opened up his soul. I, and here's why I want you back. She is fucking reading it to her ex that her she wants ex, to bang. Who she's ready to get back together with, who they've been flirting throughout this whole movie. They've the had a whole thing. Like, this guy time. left. Yeah. I was like, you are an awful like, fucking what person. What a monster. What, who would do that, right? Like, that's the last person you would ever want to read that to. Last person. There's a scene where she brings her kids over to Gilcrest's apartment and is like, you need to know something. And he's like, I already know. And every person who's watched the movie said, <laughs> I already know. Yeah, right. And th- it's done in the grossest way. He's like, let me ask you a question. And she says, fine. He says, if it's Father's Day... Do I have something to celebrate? Right, I know. It's just like... She most... says, you celebrate. He's being very vague and indirect. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just... These people... Cameron Crowe is so out of touch. Yes. I mean, so out of touch with, like, how anyone behaves, which is funny because he sort of built his career on being in touch, especially with, like, younger people. In music. And how they talk and how they behave. I mean, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Say Anything. Um but boy, he is just like utterly, utterly out of touch. I mean, every character here is in a Cameron Crowe movie, right? Uh, in the worst sense of the word. Woody actually comes back. He actually Gilchrist hangs out with the family for a few days. Gil, Woody comes back, and this is that scene where there's no talking, but it's acknowledged between the two. Your wife and your family are yours. Yeah. They love you. I have to go somewhere else. Did you sleep with my wife? No. This is done with no dialogue. Yeah, it's all subtitles, it's all but subtitles. it's all manly gestures. Yes. Which is a dumb scene. Mm-hmm. And I already hated the movie by then. So sure. I was like, I hate this even more. Just keep going. Yeah, yeah. Pile it on at this point. Why not? But you know what? All of a sudden, nope, we find out Carson was a bad guy all along. It just magically revol- resolves itself. It j- it's There's the, nothing that happens. This just, seems like a thing that was done later. Like they said, look, we got to wrap something yeah, up. Yeah, like something's like, yeah. Some other kind of ending. He gets called in to meet with McBride, Baldwin, and Bill Lamp. And who are the go, same people who just chewed him out. <laughs> and in movie time, we're at like 
two minutes away. Like it did not like not a lot of time has has elapsed. He, I guess a couple of few days has elapsed in in the in Aloha time, but in our time, yeah, this is like a few minutes later. It was like chew him out, then go and resolve stuff. Get get the letter read to him, and then. He hey, had a, everything's fine. He had a day of how am I going to pay my bills. <laughs> he had like a day of like what's going to happen. And then gets called back, no, you actually saved toe. the world. Yeah. That billionaire was oh, actually. did have weapons. Yeah. yeah and he, he was going to launch a secret payload and he was going to take us over from space. Like this is like superhero villain type stuff, right? Like, yeah. When they showed the scene of Murray getting arrested because they're like, and we got a Japanese squad of cops going to arrest him. <laughs> he gets arrested on a beach in the weirdest fucking scene ever. We also forgot to mention. And everybody in this movie is like a crazy high achiever. That Ying is a Allison is a favorite of Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that's right. Whenever she visits the island, it's like not enough that she's a fighter pilot. <laughs> that she is like this amazing person who is like high energy, twenty four hours a day. A she's captain like, at twenty seven. She's being groomed like she's yeah. She's being groomed for like for huge things. Right. Everyone is fawning over, and also she's the best friend of Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Gilchrist somehow finds Ing checking back into a hotel somewhere, yeah. and he pours his heart out. And well, he's told, like, get the girl, you know, in that sort of normal, that self-conscious way that all the dialogue happens. Yeah. Go get the girl. In this movie is what they're saying. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he finds her, and he tells her, I want to know about your favorite car. I want to know about yeah. your favorite song growing up. He expresses an interest, which yeah. just melts the ladies' hearts. I will be here. <laughs> you go do your thing. I will be in Hawaii waiting for you when you like, get back. I know that like I've changed my opinion on this several times within the last few days, but you can really I'm steady. I've told you that I will cut you and run. Yeah, literally in those words, I will knife you in the gut and run because I'm yeah. that guy. But no, I'm here now. Yeah, tomorrow we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> He's very like, but of course her heart is just utterly melted, and it all works out. And it's sort of like, okay, well that's it. Nope, shoot, we still got one more plot thread to wrap more. up. Oh no. The daughter. He's the like, daughter. well, there's one more thing I got to do. They've had several. He stayed with that family for two days. He could have talked to They could have done this. Anytime. He go, she, this is the fucking worst it's scene. so bad. He goes and finds her hula class because yeah. she's, been, she's been studying the hula and does it. She's, she's with there with a bunch of Hawaiian girls doing the hula in a class. This middle-aged man yeah. stands this outside. This is a 40-year-old man. Stands outside Nobody a hula class. Nobody accepts for his daughter, who is his daughter. Has ever met him? They, no one knows him. Forty-year-old man stares intently at these preteen girls standing outside the window of this hula dance company, watching them, just staring at her. Now, even though she's met him before, her. yeah, even though she would still be like, "Why is Mister Gilchrist like, out there? What the whoa?" <laughs> and he's just staring daggers at me, man. But yet, somehow, no, she gets it. She knows she, something. She understands. She knows. Yeah, and then she starts crying, and then starts smiling, and then is so ecstatic she runs out, gets him, like hugs. She him. is way too happy to find out that her father is not her father. <laughs> she has been lied to she, her whole John life. John Krasinski raised her. She's twelve years old. She's a young like she's ready to enter like womanhood. I mean, she's They're, they coming cry, of age. They are emotional and and distraught over anything, right. regardless at that age. But it's finding out. Oh yeah, hey, this guy who has been on, like hanging out in like Saudi Arabia for the last everybody years, I love has lied to me. This guy who's been hanging out with at our house for the last few weeks turns out he's my real father. Oh my god, I'm so happy! And like, I know she's that static. I know that because he stared creepily at me through a window. I know, while I right? Like he just stood there. It was like, oh, it was so weird. Okay, so I guess maybe at this point, I I confess that I wrote, "Why am I crying?" Because I started crying at this moment. Whoa, dude! <laughs> I started crying. Why were you crying? Uh, uh, you've got a daughter. Well. I'm a cry. I'm a movie cry. I don't cry in real life. I cry at movies. Yeah, yeah. And this and this movie got me so fucking mad throughout that the emotions had to go somewhere, and it does all the movie sh- the cues, the the shorthand, the things I've been trained to cry at. Pavlovian cries, music swells, people crying, <laughs> yeah. people having a a tender moment. Yeah. And I started crying, but I was pissed crying. For I was, sure. I was For angry sure. crying. Yeah. At this movie, uh, mercifully it ends. The fucking it just dies. Yeah. That's it. So that's. That's the end of it. I I think they wrapped up. I'm I'm still a little confused about the pedestrian gate. Like, it, who are these pedestrians who are just wan- wandering around a military base? I mean, I 
guess there's a lot of wandering around because the kid just wanders around and captures like footage of what really does turn out to be a super weapon that was about to be launched into space. <laughs> and again, like the military that's right. didn't even know. Oh, uh, but that's, you know why? It's because Kesha, <laughs> Kesha can buy a satellite <laughs> in this world of Aloha. So mercifully, that's the end of that movie. Yeah. Let's get on to our ratings. Let's say Aloha. Goodbye. Goodbye. To Aloha. Coldest Aloha to you. So what? Uh, so our rating scale, a dare is your sort of watchable bad movie, just your normal bad movie. Double dare is the truly atrocious movie. And then reverse dare, which you gave to Bright last week, is the movie that has been uh, rejected by critics, rejected by audiences, but it's actually pretty good. Yeah. What do you rate Aloha, Quirky? I got to go double dare. It's a double dare. It's a double all dare. All the way. It was very, very difficult to sit through. And it's sort of like reading my notes is, is sort of like a, 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 a tale of my journey. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of like I'm, I'm writing things down. And then uh, about midway through, I'm just writing down how annoyed I am. Yeah. I'm just writing down like, why is this happening? If and I'm writing fuck you movie, I wrote the word, that's not a good thing. I wrote false, I think. Dozens of times. <laughs> like, it all felt so false. And again, as we were saying earlier, I would love to say, oh, he's making a movie about falseness, yeah. you know? Or he's he's doing something with story where there isn't a story, but it has elements of story, and he's doing some kind of Pomo thing. Boy, he is not. Don't watch. He is trying to make a very engaging movie and is failing miserably. Yeah. Yeah. Do not watch this movie. Don't spend the three ninety nine. On don't Amazon it. for yeah. it. If it's on Netflix and you've already paid for that month, don't spend your time on that. <laughs> Watch an episode of Forensic Files or something. Absolutely, it's it's bad. The Office is on there. I mean, come on. It made me. I, I angry cried at this movie. Angry cried. God, I don't do that ever. That's well. well that's a first for the show, at least. <laughs> So that's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel. But we'll be back next week with a review. Ooh, I'm looking forward to this one. A review of The Snowman, starring Michael Fassbender. You can read more of my film reviews at newsreview.com. And my craft beer column is at sackb.com. Corky, where can people find your work? You can find me every Saturday with Anti-Cooperation League at the Sacramento Comedy Spot, as well as a monthly story time with Chris and Corky, good local storytellers, telling their wildest stories. All right. Well, that's it for this week. And... Aloha. Aloha. To aloha. More like a bloha. More like a blow. Ah, you stole mine. Duh. More like nope, ha. Huh? More like yo, aloha. No. Yo, yo, ma. More like yo, yo, ma. <laughs> <laughs>